butterfly in the sky. Gotta write a grant, oh my. They can take a look and find your hook. It's a mock review. In today's episode, we are talking about how reading makes you a better writer. Because your word choice influences how easy it is for grant makers and reviewers to understand your organizations as well as your programs and services. If you're the primary writer, especially on complex proposals, it can be hard to get a fresh perspective to find things that may leave the grant maker with unanswered questions. The mock review service offered by D.H. Leonard Consulting provides fresh eyes for any proposal, whether they were the lead writing team or not. Contact them to learn more about putting your proposals through mock review at dhleonardconsulting.com. Reading Rainbow, sold separately. Well, hello there. I'm Kimberly Hayes-Demuga. And I'm Amanda Day. And you're listening to Season 5 of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. We are here to help you make sense of the complex world of grant writing and fundraising, whether you work for a nonprofit, local government, or a consultant who serves them, or just someone who loves any and all of those people. I feel like we're just here for you. Absolutely. Um, On Fundraising Heyday, we're going to cover the how-tos, right? But we also want to explore the whys of things, why things are going on the way they're going on, including poking the bear of inequity that roams the forest that is so damp in Georgia now of (laughs) philanthropy. We got rain, y'all. And more rain, true. Um, And as always, we are poking that bear every two weeks with the help of experts in the field, our particular brand of entertainment which may include songs and cheesy sound effects and the occasional y'all and just learning doesn't have to be boring. So let's jump right into today's topic. Also, no bears were harmed in the recording of today's podcast. This podcast is brought to you by our season five sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, mock review, as well as providing numerous DIY resources, guides, and templates. Did you know that with every Fundraising Heyday episode, we create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com. Check it out today. So I'm so excited talk all things related today. Um, you know, Amanda is is lighting up to talk about this, and um, I'm just happy that we're going to do this together, because we both love this topic. That we do. So just a quick public service announcement. If reading is not your jam, then this episode may not be your jam either. However, hang on. Hear us out before you sign out and don't listen. Kimberly and I both are big believers that readers make better writers. In fact, that, you know, international bestseller, Stephen King, you may have heard of him. Just a dude that wrote some books. I don't know. Just a freelance writer. He is a big believer in the same thing. And we talked about this in season one, episode five, Mm -hmm. when we shared all the things we learned from his book called On Writing. So, Fundraisers and grant professionals spend much of their work days using the written word to convince foundations and individuals and corporations and basically other organizations to support their own organization's mission. So we're writers, and who doesn't want to be a better writer, if at all possible? So even if reading's not your jam, 
stay tuned. We've got some things that may change your mind about that. And I also want to throw in um, a topic which may be controversial, although I don't understand why it's controversial about reading. And you can just come at me at various social media, whatever. But dude, when we're talking about reading books, it could be a hardcover book. It could be a paperback. It could be an ebook. It could be an audiobook. Come fight me because listening to audiobooks is also reading. So all of these things can be reading. And it doesn't have to be a book either, right? You could be a reader of newspapers or magazines or reports yeah. and all fiction, nonfiction, reading. Reading. Yes. What doesn't count in this conversation is excessive watching of TikTok videos that I find hilarious. Um, they are hilarious. And poor Amanda <laughs> gets regular text TikToks from me. She with me the and I Lord, what have you found now? That doesn't <laughs> count as reading. That counts as mindless distraction for me. Although I do get reading Rex. But anyway, um, I would love, Amanda, for you to tell us all about the wonderful, huge, and um, formative role that reading played in your life and why you still love it today. Yeah. Um, for me, it's really just because I came from a family of readers. Like I can't think of a time when it wasn't a big part of my life. My parents are still big readers. My sister is. My grandmother, like we just always trade book recommendations. And starting from when my sister and I were pretty young, my mom would always read chapter books to us, right? So she would pick the bigger books. But we, she would read us one or two chapters a night. And um, two of the ones I really remember, like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is oh, one yeah. I really remember her reading um, to us. Um, and the other one, I couldn't remember the name of it, so I had to call my parents. I'm like, Mom, what was that? You read lots, but the two that stood out, and it was The Cross and the Switchblade. And as my mom and I were remembering that, my dad's in the back room going, hey, hey, I used to read you M60 tank maintenance books when you were real little. <laughs> yes, my dad, the humorous. You know, he planted a seed for Dude. expository, clear, concise writing that has served you well today. Something like that. So, um, But then what even built on that was uh, my family. So my dad was in the Army, clearly. The tank book should have given that away. But we moved to Germany when I was in fifth grade, and we didn't live on base. So we had no American television. Um, so, yeah, that's when I really started reading on my own because, you know, I didn't have that mindless distraction, right? So, and I loved, I mean, I went through the Nancy Drew series and the Babysitter's Club and Sweet Valley High and all of those. Um, and so from that moment on, you could pretty much always find me with a book in hand or at least close by. Um, I'm definitely, Kimberly talked about the different types of reading. I am definitely a fiction reader. Um, I, you know, I've tried an audio book once, like on road trips, I love them, but I just, I find I don't pay attention enough mm -hmm. to books like i just can't sit in a long enough setting and pay attention so for me i'm a i have a kindle and i read on that but that's what works for me so that's what i do but i just love that authors can take me to faraway places and introduce me to colorful characters and just allow me to experience just emotions and feelings and things that i otherwise wouldn't have a chance to feel right so i mean how else could i travel to scotland in the 1700s or wield a sword battling werewolves and vampires or even know what it's like to help families escape the nazis during world war ii 
for me, it's books that do that and so much more. So that's, that's a little bit about my, why I love reading as much as I do. So what about you, Kimberly? I know Kimberly, this girl, she reads like two, three, 12 books a month. I mean, she tears through them. I can see we follow each other on Goodreads and I can just see how many books she is clocking out. So definitely a ferocious reader. So what did you discover your love of reading, Kimberly? What do you love about it? Well, I would say I discovered it because my, I, w- I, I was in a, a place where two parents had good, steady jobs and understood the importance of reading. So I'm coming mm-hmm. to it from a place of, of privilege, and I want to acknowledge that. I'm, and I'm, I'm grateful for this because they were always reading um, to me. And then when I got old enough, I might have been in maybe first grade. It must have been first or second grade. Back in the day, so they had the weekly reader book club because y'all i'm a crusty gen xer and i go back way back and they because they could they would let me pick out books like every and i want to say i can't remember the timeline exactly i think it was i mean i guess you could say weekly reader was it once a week maybe several times a month where I could pick out a new little skinny little chapter book or something that I wanted and they would buy it for me. And it was probably like only a couple of dollars Uh Um, again, because this was a while back, but that was that sense of ownership and choice. And um, yet for years it was only horse books because I was a horse girl and um, all about, all about horses, all about um, everything to do with horses. And there was something about, excuse me, reading that I just found so entertaining. I guess I was kind of a compulsive reader. And um, so that's carried on until today. I I really do enjoy reading. I had a dip during the pandemic, the first year of the pandemic, because I think I was just freaked out. And I got my focus back um, toward the end of 2021. And now I'm back reading. I like to read several books at a time. I like fiction and nonfiction. Um, I'm a writer as well. I write uh, I write young adult historical mysteries. So I'm always reading about some little part of history that, that is not super well known. And I just like digging around and finding it. And I, I, I consume books across all different media. And I'm not a fan of Goodreads for other reasons, but as a tracking device for me, flawless. Um, yeah. Also, I'm a big fan of the public library. That's where I get a lot of books. And right now I actually have a, a bookshelf in the bedroom because <laughs> I'm super romantic like that. That has actually, it's just all, it's just library books that I have out. Nice. Just library books. And they're like 10, I get like 10 at a time. I want to go back to something you said. So you are one of those people, you have multiple books going on at the same time that you're reading. Like you might read a few chapters of this and then move on to that. When, that, that I am the per, I am the serial monogamous reader. Like if I start a book, I read nothing else until I'm done. <laughs> right? I, I'm like I the, I'm not the pan, whatever. She's the hippie. <laughs> poly bookmas reader, I guess. Because it depends <laughs> on what I'm in the mood for. And that's all. That's as far as we're going to take this analogy because this is a family web. This a family podcast. <laughs> but it just I, when I meet, I, and I don't think I realized you did that, Kimberly. As much as we talked about books, that had never come up. People who I just can't focus enough. I guess like I just have to finish that book before I can move on to the next. Usually, I just, I think I'd be confused reading like well, wait a minute, it's a mix. 
no, it's a mix. Like it's fiction and nonfiction. And yeah. I don't list all my nonfiction on Goodreads because that's just my stuff, the history stuff, the text yeah. stuff, and the stuff. But um, I, I mean, yeah, sometimes it's nonfiction history. Sometimes it's nonfiction um, that may have to do with things I'm exploring um, in a spiritual way. Sometimes it's poetry. Sometimes it's like gotcha. Shakespeare. Uh-huh. Then I'll go back to, I read a crap ton of YA because that's my job <laughs> because, yeah. um, because of all different kinds of reasons. And so they're very different. Yeah. And um, it kind of depends on what I'm in the mood for. Yeah. And, but as my focus has been coming back, I will never be like a serial reader, just one book at a time. But um, I'm definitely reading deeper and faster now than I have been. So I'm super grateful for that. But yeah, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. a, um, I'm a equal opportunity. <laughs> I can't think of a thing to say that's not. That's okay. That's not that's okay. nasty. That's so okay. I'm just going to step away. No worries. So, um, Okay, so and again, we really are focusing on books here because that's that's the genre, the thing that Kimberly and I love to read. But again, newspapers, magazines, reports, other people's grant proposals, right? All kinds of things you can read. Oh, that's how I learned to write yeah. grant proposals was reading other people's grant proposals at the hospital where I worked. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yep. So if you're saying, I don't have time to read, I'm like, I bet you do. I bet you're not recognizing when you read or even the smallest amount or the media that you could use and um, how it can help you be a better grant writer. Just saying. There you go. Yep. So speaking of being a better grant writer, that's why we're talking about reading. So let's jump into the reasons why reading can make you a better writer. I'm going to hop in. I'm also going to open the conversation, too, because we want to include our fundraisers and development directors and jack-of-all-trade consultants. It's not just about grant writing. I think being a voracious reader starting at a young age helped me in a lot of ways that I'm still kind of understanding. But in all aspects, I think, of certainly fundraising and grant writing, reading can just help you out. In so many ways, one of those ways I can actually think of, well, I'll start off with this one, um, helping increase vocabulary. Now, as we all know, if you're writing an annual appeal letter or a grant proposal, you do not need to use your big old SAT words, right? But you don't need to use the same word over and over and over again um, or the same verb like the verb to be. So if everything is, was, will be, will have done, will be able to, um, if you're writing tight, it takes up a lot of space and it's also kind of boring. And so if you're reading, I'm always, I'm all about the verbs when I'm reading now or when I'm writing fiction or when I'm writing grant proposals or appeal letters, whatever I'm writing, I want to pick, use like action verbs or descriptive verbs. Um, you know, someone developed, they found, they, 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 they're, they're thriving, they're succeeding, building, championing, um, fighting, whatever it is, whatever it is, um, the, a way to use language, um, in a way that would make it interesting for a grant reviewer to read or for a potential donor to read is using more action oriented verbs. And of course, avoiding passive voice and some of the best writing is certainly in fiction. Not a whole lot of passive voice 
unless yeah. they're using it for effect. Um, and sometimes there might just be different turns of phrase that you could use to describe things. The thing that keeps coming in my mind, and it wasn't, it wasn't written, but it was the detail that stuck with me really quick. And I know I've talked about this before. Um, I was when I was teaching grant writing. I want to say this was in Montgomery, Alabama. This must have been in 2019. I mean, so I'm still remembering it. Um, I had folks write a sample need statement, and then we're going around. Yeah, we talked about rules, rules of the road, and we have we have a podcast episode about that. But one of my students said or wrote, so she wrote it and she read it out loud, and I heard it. So I guess it does fit in. She says that a lot of these kids are leaving their um, foster homes or I think this is juvenile justice. So leaving their finishing their um, term of incarceration and they're leaving with the change in their pocket and a bus ticket or something like that. And I was like, oh, whereas maybe in a grant proposal, you might say youth who have completed their incarceration are then released into a community with modest resources. It's like, okay, but the pocket change and a bus ticket, it's the idea across just like that. So I'm hoping that is um, something to just, that that would maybe stick in your brain too, because what an incredible, and it's not taking up a lot of room. It's not using flowery language. The, The words plethora or cornucopia did not appear anywhere in here. And it was just, straightforward but that boom that that visual detail of a kid who may have done something maybe didn't we don't know they're they've they've done their time and they're out into the world with some pocket change and a bus ticket wow super set up for success you just get that and so that's the power of words and i think you can get the power of words from paying attention and reading yeah. Well, and I, a, a similar example, this has been years ago, same, I was teaching someone from a need statement worked for a food bank. And it was the first time I had ever heard someone describe a community as being a food desert. Yeah. And now I know that's used a lot now, but somebody had to initially coin that phrase, right? And that for me, that was the first time because this again, this was like seven years ago, first time I'd heard that phrase. And I immediately picked up out of everything she said. I'm like, I'm going to go back to that. Like, because mm-hmm. to the class, I'm like, you immediately, even if you don't haven't heard that before, you understand there, like, there ain't no food to be had in this community. Certainly, no fresh vegetables, no this, no that. And what a powerful phrase! Just two words of what mm-hmm. a powerful thing that is. So, you may pick things like that up in a book or a, a news article, right? So, or you are reading or, uh, another in reading, yeah. Um, other grants and blog posts and other studies. The food apartheid is actually a word, the, a phrase that's coming up a lot to describe that because a lot of people, particularly people of color who live in communities with it had food deserts as defined several years ago, as Amanda brought up. They're like, right, but this is not like a naturally occurring phenomena. It's Something that has been brought on in these neighborhoods that have been redlined, where there's been no development, where the city yeah. hasn't, that we don't have bus service, businesses aren't being like subsidized in any way to come in here. We don't have grocery stores. This is a systemic, systematic series of, of, of legal policies and procedures that have led us here. And I'm like, you're right. 
And apartheid is such a powerful word that pairing it with food, like you said, with the food desert, you're like, oh, oh, crap. This is where we are. And Mm -hmm. so rather than they are underserved because of a lack of food that is healthy, it's like you can use powerful language, um, whether it's food desert, food apartheid, what have you. Those are much shorter words. They're two words and you get where you are. So Mm -hmm. I just think it's a great lesson in how you can use words and how do you get familiar with words? How do you get better with words? Reading. Yeah. Well, and I think too, things you, you know, not only language, but sometimes you may find a quote from a book that can be powerful, right? Like one of my, I love the book series of Game of Thrones and there's, I think it's the fifth book, George R.R. R. Martin. He wrote, a reader lives a thousand lives. A non-reader lives but one. And I thought, man, if I ever have a client that has anything to do, whether it's a library or a school or whether it talks about reading or literacy or anything like that, what a powerful quote to include in that. Because just that one statement that that really opens up the power of reading, right? And so you you know you you think, oh, I'm not going to find buzzwords in books, you know, unless it happens to be a book about you know the thing I'm talking about. But you might be surprised where you might find some quotes and some things. Um, I mean, that's one I haven't been able to use yet, but one of these days it'll happen. <laughs> it'll happen. It will. <laughs> I also I think reading. Reading, whether you're reading narrative nonfiction, whether you're reading um, fiction, whatever it is, or whether you're listening to, particularly, I think, when you're listening to audiobooks. Yes. You can, when things are well written, there's a way, there's, there's, a, there's a, a, a poetry to it, right? It's pleasing to the ear, even if it's a difficult subject. And a lot of it has to do with how sentences are structured, um, how you mix different kinds of sentences or the words you use. If you have grown up in any kind of faith community um, where you might have heard uh, sermons or homilies or um any kind of spoken word um, or even like poetry slams back in the day before I became a hermit because germs, um, poetry readings, things like that. When you can hear it, words read out loud, it can, you can incorporate some of that. I'm not saying that you recast your need statement as an epic poem um, or anything like that, but hearing things and seeing how things are put together can get you into the rhythm of things and it can make it pleasing to read. And whether you, you may be like, Oh, it's just a dry proposal about traffic or it's a, about traffic circles or, um, well, you know what? We just need, um, a new community center for older adults. If you are, when you're writing, if you're paying attention, if you're reading out loud, you can kind of hear how it sounds. And remember, someone's going to be, reading that and experiencing that too. So if that's, that's another layer I think you can bring into and a way to understand how that works is to go back to favorite writing of any kind um, or spoken word that, that you enjoy and kind of get a feel for it. Like, yeah. what is it about this? I, I, the reason I brought up the faith communities is that I, my, in my family, there's a long line of, of preachers, which makes me a preacher's kid and 
whatever, you know, whatever you've heard is probably true about preacher's kids. But I was able to, I can't say that. I'll say that about me. And I'm also like, whatever. But um, what I heard, um, 18 years of enforced Sunday school and church attendance, you're going to hear a lot. Oh, <laughs> you're going to yeah. hear a lot of language. And also um, from from the Bible or any sacred text, right? Any sacred text, my personal experiences with the Bible, there was lots of poetic imagery yes. and cadence yeah. in many different uh, books of the Bible and also in many other um, uh, sacred writings from other faith communities that I've been exposed to over the years. So you can incorporate those kinds of things that's pleasing to the ear and it makes it easy to review, right? Because if you're writing a letter at the end of the year or a grant proposal, the bottom line is it's persuasive. It's yeah. persuasive writing. And so understanding what persuades you to like different kinds of writing can help you in your own writing. Yep. Yeah, exactly what Kimberly says, that cadence and ry rhythm in both your sentence and your paragraph structure is so vital because it can, it, it, you know, if you have a string of very short sentences, it kind of gets... You know, the person's just, they're reading it really, really fast, right? Because it's easy to do. And I think about this, and this is no, let me tell you, I love me some James Patterson books. But if you've ever read James Patterson, like his, his books are entertaining. Like I need a beach read. I need a quick, I don't have to think about anything. It's just, I know it's going to be light. It's going to be fast. Sometimes you need those. We call them palate cleansers, right? Y'all can't see the faces I'm making, but I love Amanda and she has the right to read what she wants. Okay. But ew, go ahead. Yeah. But the thing about him, if you've ever read him, you will know his Chapters are very short, sometimes only two and three pages. His paragraphs are all very short, and his sentences are all very short, which is why I can blow through a James Patterson book in like a day, because it is very easy for me to just read it. Now, once I'm finished reading it, have I retained any information? Am I going to remember that book three days from now? Probably not, right? So that's the downside. So reading will teach you. But then again, if you've got other books you have read where the reader or the author has written really, really long sentences over and over again, right? Long sentences. I don't know about you, but if I've got a sentence that's like six, seven lines long, half the time I have to go back up and go, wait a minute, trying to grasp the structure of who's doing what and what's going on in that sentence. So imagine if you have tons of those in a row, as a reader, I'm starting to get annoyed because I'm like, I don't understand what you're saying. There's way too much information packed in this one sentence or this, you know, multiple times in one paragraph. So your reader then may feel like they're not grasping anything. So it's a good idea to kind of break up that rhythm and cadence. Yes, have some short sentences. Yes, have some long ones, but to, to vary them. So because if your reader gets into that pattern of just the cadence, you may have lost them because then they're not really retaining that information. You want to break up that. That what? That's true. That up, so. It's true. Now, I, while I'm not a fan of James Patterson, there are other writers that do use. I like a balance. I'm going to say I like yeah. I like short and punchy. I like long and lyrical. I do not like passive voice. Uh, most of the time, certainly in fiction and really not in grants. I'm no. always trying to turn that around. If I'm uh, participate um, in mock reviews um, and helping other grant professionals edit their, their, their things. And it's like, that's one of the first things that I'll, I'll go to town on is try and make it a more pleasurable reading experience. Because if you think that densely packed fiction 
in terms of the language is hard to understand. Wait till you're like wading through some sort of clinical research, something where it's like, y'all, this 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 paragraph is one sentence, and I don't care how many um, letters you have after your name. If you're a grant reviewer and you're tired, let's just even just breaking it up. If you're if mm-hmm. you have a series of five compound complex sentences, which what by that I mean a whole lot of phrasing and commenting going on. Breaking those up can be super helpful. And yeah. it's helpful to the reader too, because really what you want, they already know you're smart. We don't need to prove that we're smart. We need to write persuasive, compelling grants. And yeah. part of that is making it easier for the reader. Yeah. I would also say that reading, any kind of reading about current events gives you information that can help you in writing grants. But reading fiction around current events, which is the way I kind of slide into it sometimes, can be astoundingly helpful, particularly if you are like me and you're writing grants about communities where you don't live and where you don't have lived experience. And if you don't have that lived experience, okay, that's but you better educate yourself in ways. And I would also say that books podcasts, blogs, posts, any other way to gather information from reliable sources is 5,000% better than asking someone in that community. Since I'm white, I will say, rather than me asking a black person to explain to me the hardships of growing up in a particular neighborhood that they've grown up in, Yes, you want to gather information, but there's so many wonderful books and place and ways out there to educate yourself so that you're not asking someone that um, you're also uh, trying to connect with resources. You're not asking them to do all that work and heavy lifting. If you like to read, there are so many books out there and that can help you understand so that you can ask questions intelligently and compassionately without saying well, how does this work and how, why are we here? No, there's lots of resources for that. And I want to point out one way that that's really served me over the past couple of years. I never did, uh, never did, I have not yet done any uh, fundraising or grant writing around um, tribal governments, around uh, Native Americans or indigenous people here in North America or beyond. So, but reading fiction, including, I'm looking at my bookshelf. Oh, oh, Amanda has it because I gave it to her to read. Firekeeper's Daughter by yes. Angeline Booley. And forgive me, I think it's Booley, B-O-U-L-L-E-Y. So I'm, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. Um, it's Firekeeper's Daughter was a one, it was a fantastic book. Um, but it was also a way for me to learn a native a native writer and it was a way for me to understand about this particular fictionalized experience but touching on contemporary issues around um, land back movements reservation mo- drug issues contemporary just all kinds of contemporary issues that I would not really experience any other way And I also finished a great book of short stories. So if you're like, I don't have time to read, I bet you could squeeze out a short story. You know, I bet you could do that. This is called Night of the Living Res, and it's by Morgan Talty, T-A-L-T-Y. And um, it's all, it's a series of connected short stories. 
but it's about people who are living with significant challenges, but also just people who are going about their lives. Bad things happen. Some good things happen. Some funny things happen. But it's and it's all they just happen to be people who live who um, are of the Penobscot tribe that live on and around this reservation in Maine. So I'm sa- I'm not saying I would not say oh this is the entire Native experience because of course not. But and it's also these are stories that just happen to be as the writer put it. I listened to an interview with him and he he is also a Penob he is an enrolled um, member of the Penobscot tribe and he he's like you know they just they're they're stories about people who just happen to be Native Amer- natives they just happen to be Native Americans. But it's opening doors for me to understand more about how funding and other systems are set up that can inform my grant writing practice. We also had a great episode um, where we interviewed TJ Hansel about fundraising. Um, and I learned so much from that too. And a lot of the the, the big systemic themes we explored have yeah. are touched on in these works of fiction. Um, and I would also say reading, keeping current um, and moving into nonfiction now is going to help you understand how how reference words are going to change and how they should change yeah. over the years. Like it used to be help our needy neighbors. That was a big thing at the food bank years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, that was how and it's all and, and things have evolved and changed and um, like food desert, food apartheid. Uh, people of differing abilities versus handicapped people, which is the phraseology yeah. used years ago. If you're current in your reading of just nonfiction, you're checking out um, blog posts or research articles um, in your field, that is going to help you. And you can it, it can refine the way you talk about it. I know no one wants to use language that is outdated and offensive. Like for when I worked at the at the Fraser Center here in Atlanta, um, we were helping people with developmental disabilities look for work and find meaningful volunteer opportunities. Nobody used the R word, right? Yeah. When but when I was little or younger, that what people would commonly use it also as a pejorative. So that may be an extreme example, and I know we know all other kinds of examples, but keeping current on your language is going to help you write better mm-hmm. proposals or um, other kinds of fundraising materials because you're not going to take a misstep out of ignorance. Yep. Well, and the last point I'd make too is that, and this is kind of in that same vein, but reading teaches you what works and what doesn't work, right? Yep. So, you know, think about if you are reading, you know, it, it takes a lot for me to not finish a book but there are times that I won't finish reading. And so, you know, I try to think about, well, what was it about that, you know, story, that writing that made me not be engaged enough to want to keep reading because I don't want to do that same thing. Right. Um, and not only that, but what causes you to pause your reading? Like, why did you stop? Now, sometimes it may be because it's 3am and I've got to get up and go to work. So as good as this book is, I have, I can't read any more chapters. That's very different than, I, I could read for another hour. I've got the time to do it, but eh, I'd rather go do something else, right? So what about that part of the story that even though it had been an engaging story, what was it about this part? What's going on now that makes me kind of think, I'll put it down, I'll come back to it later, right? So just reading those kinds of things gives you ideas of what not to do in your own writing. And so sometimes it's not just learning what to do, but it's learning what not to do. So things to think about there. 
It's true. And if you're thinking, oh, I don't have, I don't have the time to read. I don't, it's too much for me. Um, one way to get, to get yourself into reading, or maybe you used to enjoy it and now you don't, you don't know why. A lot of it can have to do with levels of stress, what's going on externally, what's going on in your, in your family or with yourself. Sometimes just giving yourself a moment to at least start to read or to start to do anything that in the end is going to make you feel better. I, um, you've probably heard of the Pomodoro method. It was, it's called Pomodoro because I think that's Italian for tomato and whoever started it had a timer shaped like a tomato. So there you go. Um, origin story, but setting a timer on your phone, or if you, if you have a plastic tomato, I'm not judging you. So set your timer and, uh, for 25 minutes. And just put it aside so you don't hear it clicking or you don't see it on your phone and yeah. start to read. And then it's going to go off at 25 minutes. And if you are not feeling what you're doing, then leave. Chances are, if it's either a good book or something fascinating or a topic that intrigues you, you'll start to keep going. And you can just sort of build, either build or rebuild your 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 reading muscle. Um, to keep going and, and help you with your focus. I also use that same technique if I'm really procrastinating on a writing project that I don't want to do because sometimes your girl just doesn't want to write. Um, setting it for 25 minutes or working out or walking or doing yoga or anything. I'm like, okay, 25 minutes, I got you. And then usually at the end of that first 25, I'm good to go. On bad days, I get up. The true Pomodoro method is you give yourself five minutes and go back into 25 yeah, I, I've done that four and five times on certain days to get through projects. So anyway, if you're like, oh, I just don't feel like reading anymore, maybe just time yourself in a gentle little way, and that'll help you drop back down. I think it's also going to help you with your focus. Um, and ultimately, it could also be a, a stress reliever in a meaningful way. Yeah. Well, and I, years ago, not, neither of my kids are big readers, um, as much as I have encouraged it and tried. Um, but this is years ago, my son was in sixth grade and the middle school had a, um, uh, they call it the millionaire readers club where they had all kinds of different genres of reading. And some of them were articles, you know, different fiction categories, nonfiction categories, and you had to read three books from each of these categories. And I forget how many books, the idea was you will have read a million pages or give or take. Right. So anyway, he decided he wanted to do this, not because he loved reading, but he just wanted the challenge and he wanted, I forget what the prize was, but so he's doing it and he's slogging through and, you know, he's complaining because he's not enjoying a lot of the stuff he's reading. And he just kept talking about reading. I don't like reading, reading stinks. And I kept telling him, I said, it's not reading that stinks is you're not reading things that are of interest to you. I said, if you can find a book. So I was looking over his categories and that's right around the time Ready Player One had just come out. Oh, and right. so it, I forget what category it fit. I said, well, let's pause, finish whatever you're in the middle of. I want you to read this one next. That boy tore through that book. Couldn't wait to talk about it. Loved it. He still wants, if you ask him what his favorite book is to this day, he will tell you Ready Player One. Um, and so and again, I'm not saying he's still a big reader because he's still not. Um, but he did learn the lesson of it's not the reading it's finding reading that catches your interest. And so if that's, if you just haven't found something that held your interest, I highly encourage if you are on social media at all, there's tons of groups, book related groups. Um, Facebook has several um, that are just, anybody can join. Right. And I love 
I've belonged to several. I was trying to look up, see if I could find some of the names in case y'all are on there. I'll, I'll kind of look as I'm talking. But I love being able to go and saying something like, my favorite book of all time is this. What else have you read that is similar to that? Right. And you, you know, or sometimes people will post, you know, what's your favorite book in this category or what's your least favorite book or what's, you know, so having these sorts of things where you can go or people, hey, I'm about to read this. Who's read it? What did you think? And getting their feedback. Um, and so book groups, I think, can um, really help you find different things for reading. So I would just. And also bookstores and libraries. Yeah. Yep. If, you, if that's something that, that you can do, particularly independent bookstores, because it's not like people open a bookstore or work in a bookstore because they're making big bank and they want to dominate the world economically. That's not why they're doing it. They're doing it because they love it and they um, are able to uh, really dig in and, and help you find things. Unlike Amanda, I will, I am okay not finishing a book if it's not, if it's not I'll give you, I'll give you a hundred pages. I'm going to give you a hundred pages because I'm generous like that, but I'm going to give you a hundred pages. And if I am not feeling it by a hundred pages, I'm out. I don't, I don't need to, I don't need to finish it. I'll take it off my Goodreads list and, and move on. Um, but generally it's been a long time since I've, well, I, no, that's not true. I walked away from, yeah, I walked away from one book in the past four months where I was just like, I just, I just can't even get into it. And it doesn't matter which book it was, but I was like, life's too short um, for me to finish. But I also noted why I didn't like it and what I didn't like and how, when I'm choosing books again, that I would be on the lookout for things like that. It was a genre that's just not my jam at all. And yeah, which is fine too. What kills me is some of these reading groups on Facebook you know, there'll be a book that everybody on there just loves, right? Like where the crawdads thing for a while was just all the rage. Everybody's talking about how much they loved it. And there was someone on there that were like, guys, I've made it to page 150 and it's just not, please tell me it gets better. Like at what point? And every time I'm like, not every book is for everybody. Like they're, they're, my sister and I are pretty similar in our reading taste. Uh-huh. You know, some of my most favorite books like the Outlander series by Diana Gabalda is probably one of my favorite series of all time. My sister hated it. I mean, hated it with a passion. Um, didn't finish it. Um, and that's fine, right? There's books she recommends to me that I'm like, yeah, okay, fine, but not my jam. And that's okay. You know, not every book is for every person. So it's, it's okay to not finish. It's okay to love a book that nobody loves. The point is that you're reading and you are finding what it is that you do love and that you're, you know, even if it's, you know, as much as I, I read for fiction and I read for escape and enjoyment, but I still learn so much no matter what it is I'm reading. And what it is that you're reading, you never know how it can surface in your writing, right? Absolutely. So it's it's a win-win. And I would also say, you know, no matter what you're reading, no matter how often you read, any amount will help. And I think the more you read, the more you're going to like it. There's so many different ways to read. There's so much uh, wonderful stuff out there. There's something for everybody. And if you're at work, if you're back in the office and um, you are reading something and your boss says something, it's like, hey, I'm working on my grants game. Hey, I'm working on improving. All right. No, probably not. That's probably not going <laughs> to fly, but it would be a nice thing to try. I'm just saying. It sounds like a good plan to me. Ooh, so. <laughs> but yeah, totally. Happy reading, everybody. Woo-hoo. 
thank you for listening. Your continued support is the reason that we are here on season five and we will be coming back for season six. Yeah, we are. Please, if you can, if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, that helps other people find this podcast. So if you like us, Give us a review. If you don't like us, man, the world is full of all sorts of wonderful podcasts, and I'm sure you're going to find something that's right for you. But if you do like it, that review can help us so much and help other people find us. So we really appreciate it. Thanks again for all your support. Thank you again to our Season 5 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We so appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website at dhleonardconsulting.com to download their latest free resources today. We are so honored you choose to spend time with us. Tune in with us every two weeks. We hope you're going to join us next time where we are highlighting funders gone right. That's right. Instead of complaining, we want to talk about the ones that are breaking the mold and they're doing things that are helpful and wonderful and fabulous and lovely for us grantees. So you don't want to miss this one. Real life examples, y'all coming up. See you then.